0: This is Pet Life Radio. Let's Talk Pets.
1: Rappaport to the rescue with award-winning animal advocate Jill Rappaport.
0: Hi, welcome to Rappaport to the Rescue. I'm Joe Rappaport, and today it's a newsworthy animal welfare show. We are going to tackle two very important situations plaguing us and really threatening animal welfare. The first is the return, the influx of all the shelter animals. The fact that I'm hearing that so many shelters are inundated, animals are being given up and returned in droves. People have gone back to work. The vet bills have come in and all of a sudden animals are being returned. And literally it's so incredible to me because I became a recent foster. That is a new role for me, a foster parent. And in the fall... When I started my new mission as a foster mom, I had a standard poodle, young, very young, beautiful girl. She was two years old and her brother that was a golden doodle. Now, there was a time you couldn't even find those dogs. We call them designer breeds. Forget it. I mean, the only good thing about the pandemic is that rescue and adoption were up. And even the underdogs were getting adopted. The seniors, the pits, the special needs, that was unbelievable. Well, if you were looking for anything like a designer dog, forget about it. So here I'm fostering two of the most beloved desired breeds. And we had a very difficult time. It was a long time before they finally found a forever home. And thank goodness they did, because they had to go together. And then after that, I fostered a Cavapoo, a beautiful two-year-old, amazing little dog that would have been snapped up in a minute. And it was a challenge. So all I can tell you is that times have changed. And I talk to my foster groups and people at shelters daily, and they tell me that the situation is truly frightening. We need to get these animals out. We need fosters. We need donations. We need help. And so we're going to tackle that problem and find out exactly what is going on. What is the truth? Not only in your local area, but across the country with adoption and rescue and we'll hear it all from the president and CEO and my friend Matt Bershakker of the ASPCA. Then we're also going to discuss the problem with vets not that there's anything wrong with them, but how about the shortage of vets? Yes, that is a real crisis going on in our country right now. I don't know if you've been to your vet recently. I just had to go to the emergency room with Oscar Mayer when he slipped his disc. I talked about that in my last show. And I was so shocked how few people were at the front desk and how quiet it was in the back and how busy it was in the front. People waiting for hours to get in to see the vet. And then, on top of the stress of hoping your pet is okay, you finally go through that emergency room process and hope for the best. I was very lucky because they told me he would be okay with rest, which he is, thank goodness. But then you get your bill. OMG. Vet bills have gone up so much. Spay and neutering, I heard, is up almost 30%. What is going on with vets and the whole system and the billing? We need to get to the bottom of this. And Matt Vershatker, president and CEO of the ASPCA, will have all the answers when we come back. Stay tuned.
2: How many of you have pets?
1: Let's Talk Pets on PetLifeRadio.com.
0: Welcome back to Rappaport to the Rescue. I'm Joe Rappaport. And here's some pretty staggering stats for you. According to the American Society for the Prevention of Cruelty to Animals, that's the ASPCA, of the 6.3 million animals, 6.3 million, Entering shelters across the country yearly, approximately 3.1 million are dogs. And this is the number that's really going to turn your stomach. Out of that number, sadly, tragically, each year about 390,000 shelter dogs are euthanized. And so many of those countless animals are wonderful, healthy, amazing animals that will lose their lives simply because they can't find a home. That to me just stops my heart. And it is the reason I created this show that I devote my life and my whole mission in life is about rescuing and educating people about the joys of adopting and the need to do so. And on top of that, when you do adopt a pet, there's costs involved. So many people cannot afford the bills, the vet bills that come along when you take one of these wonderful animals into your home. And combine that with another situation we've been hearing about called compassion fatigue, which involves our vets and has caused an incredible shortage in this country. Vets are leaving in droves because of anxiety, stress, long hours, and it's really frightening. And we have to do something about this. So today, my very special guest is the president and CEO of the ASPCA, Matt Bershatker. The ASPCA is the first and the oldest animal welfare organization in the United States, and Matt is at the helm. Matt, it is great to be here with you. So happy you're on Rappaport to the Rescue today. And if you heard the intro, there's two pending issues that everywhere I go, every person I talk to in Animal Rescue seems to be talking about. A- The influx of animals back in the shelter system. B, what is going on with our veterinarians?
1: Yes, Jill, and I appreciate the opportunity to speak about both of these very, very critical issues. They're both pretty big, so let's break them down and have a conversation about, and they, of course, inform one another, but we can talk about about them both. So shelter populations. So without a doubt, shelters are struggling across the country. There are pockets of tough, tough news, and there are pockets of tough news. But the biggest stat to come out of 2022 from an organization called Shelter Animals Counts, which is one of the only organization that's trying to aggregate national shelter data and give us trends and give us accurate information. So intake is still below pre-pandemic levels. So the number of animals, cats and dogs coming into shelters is still below 2019 if we use that as pre-pandemic. But what's changed and what's alarming is that there are 4% more animals in the shelter system in 2022 than there were in 2021. So there's more animals living in a shelter without an outcome, without an adoption, without a return to owner, without a transfer. We've also seen a reduction in the number of animals moving from shelter to shelter, transport numbers. You know, the ASPCA does an awful lot of this. We move maybe 35,000 animals a year. But we've seen about a 2 maybe 3% decrease in the number of animals being transferred from one shelter to the other. Now, of course, the reason that animals are transferred is because we believe, we, the royal we, the sheltering community, believe that those animals will have a better chance of finding a loving home in a different shelter. So those are really, I think, the two most alarming numbers coming out of the 2022 data, which is carried forward into the first quarter of 2023 more animals in the shelter system and fewer animals being transported within the shelter system.
0: Well, everybody seems to be blaming the fact that during the pandemic, there was an influx of wanting to adopt and you could not find a shelter animal anywhere. Now, all of a sudden, people go back to work. They got their first vet bills. They came home to an eaten couch and reality set in and those animals were returned. What are you seeing in terms of that data?
1: So the data does not support that. I'm not saying that's not happening. Okay. I'm not saying that's not happening, certainly in kind of a shelter here, a shelter there, but broadly, we have not seen an increase in owner surrenders. Now, interestingly, stray intake is up. Now, what's problematic about that? If somebody brings an animal to a shelter and says it's a stray when it's not, that's bad because two things happen. One is we don't get any good history around that animal, right? how is he or she? Who does he or she like? Why are you bringing him back? There's still a stigma around bringing an animal to a shelter, and this is all speculation. So are people, we don't know the answer to this question, but are people coming to a shelter saying it's a stray when it's in fact an owner surrender? So the first bad thing is you don't get good data around this animal and how he or she's going to thrive. The second thing is they may be subject to a stray hold period. So they're sitting in the shelter longer than they need to. If you bring an animal to a shelter and say, hey, you know, he or she just does A, B and C and we can't tolerate A, B and C because this is our family. Then the shelter staff know what type of homeless animal will thrive in. So we don't know, but the data does not support an influx of pandemic adoptions coming back in. Stray intake is, up, however.
0: That's unbelievable to me. I mean, I guess the shame and the guilt People, a stigma. I mean, would feel, you know, returning an animal. I can't even imagine that's so out of anything I would ever experience in my life. But, you know, that's just a terrible situation. You know, they're embarrassed. They're ashamed. They don't want to admit they have to give up the animal. But in the end, they're doing two bad things for the animal. They're dumping it and they're not giving you that vital info. If, in fact, that's happening.
1: We don't know what that's happening, but when you look at the numbers, you wanna ask the question. So we wanna destigmatize bringing an animal to a shelter. If in fact you can't keep this animal in your home, there's no problem, right? But tell us, the sheltering community, the animal welfare community, everything we need to know about this animal so that we can do our job, right? Which is to find this animal, his or her home. So the other thing that we're seeing, Jill, there's a few other things that inform this. We recently fielded a study where we found that 80% of shelters were having trouble staffing their non-animal jobs. So they're not hands-on animal jobs. So foster coordinator, volunteer coordinator. And these are jobs, of course, that all contribute significantly to the adoption pathway. If I'm a shelter and I can't set up a foster program because I don't have a person to do that work and you need a person to do that work, Well then i can't get as many animals out into foster if i'm a shelter and i don't have the human resources to staff my operation that's a problem i heard about a shelter and i don't want to name anybody who actually had enough veterinarians to do spay neuter work but they didn't have enough kennel techs so they actually have to have their veterinarians walking dogs feeding dogs cleaning kennels because you got to do the basics so of course the whole spay neuter thing gets backed up so the overall labor shortage is a massive massive issue and we know that the animals are the first to feel it in tough times and this labor shortage is very very has been very very difficult on animal shelters
0: well i just took my dog to the vet recently the emergency room visit a you have shell shock when you get that bill and b i could not believe how empty it was in terms of technicians doctors it's yet the lobbies are full people are waiting in masses there and let's talk about that what's going on with our vets
1: so you raise a really good point. It's not just vets. It's vets and techs, right? Both disciplines were understaffed, tremendously understaffed when it comes to veterinarians and when it comes to techs. So on the vet side, you know, the economics of this industry are very very challenging. 80% of graduates have debt. The average debt load is near 200,000. I think it's about 188,000. The average first-year salary is in and around 100 grand. That's upside down right? It's upside down. The industry is also about 65% female. We know that women were disproportionately impacted by the pandemic. We know that more women still have not returned to the workplace. We know that more women, despite our best efforts, still do more of the work on the home front. So the veterinary community is also feeling that squeeze. So you have the economics of it. You have the pandemic, which impacted of it. And you you don't have equal work in terms of raising families between men and women still mostly men and women. I know that there are other types of families. So the vet shortage is a huge issue. On top of this, Jill, the AVMA, the trade association that represents the vet industry won't acknowledge that it's a vet shortage. Why not? Why not? I want to pick my words carefully since they'll be shared. (laughs) You know, I think the interests of the AVMA are not necessarily aligned with the interests of animal welfare. And there's a conflict there. And that's probably why not. So there's a challenge there. Fortunately, we have three vet schools that are coming online, one in Utah, one in New Jersey, and Long Island University are all adding vet schools. So I don't know how big their classes will be. And this is obviously a long-term play. uh, But if there are a few hundred each, we'll be able to add more vets to the pipeline. I do believe that the market dynamics will eventually fix this. We had to give massive salary increases to our veterinary staff. You know, the ASPCA employs over 330 vets or veterinarians across the country. Uh, We recently changed all our salary bands around our medical staff so that we could be more competitive with the private sector. Now, importantly, we don't want to compete on salary alone, right? We want to be a competitive payer, but we want people who are mission aligned. We want people who want to change the world for animals. So we don't want to just compete with that specialty practice that's looking to generate as much money as possible. No judgment there.
0: Well, you know, I have a very good friend who's a vet and I was talking to him the other night, and he said, Jill, I'm just burned out. He said, I guess I refer to it as compassion fatigue. They are just exhausted. And because of that, he said it's taken the love and the passion away because he can't catch up. He can never get ahead, and he feels he's not doing a service to the animals because half the time he's so exhausted based on the hours and the overload.
1: Yeah. You know, vets don't want to say no to people. They love animals just like we do. They want to help animals just as much as we do. And you're right. They are burnt out. The suicide rate is high. I think a recent study by the AVMA said that 30 or 40% of vets are looking to leave the industry. There's a, a young veterinarian at the ASPCA. She maybe is 30. She's uh, She was our first shelter medicine resident. Uh, she said two of her classmates have already left the industry, wanted to be a graphic designer. It's a very, very tough, grueling grueling job. It's physically demanding. It's emotionally demanding. It's intellectually demanding. And the pay isn't great.
0: And what's amazing, it's so uh, supposedly more difficult to get into vet school than med school. So they go through the process. They go through the education. They make it in. They're obviously pretty brilliant. And yet they're saying bye-bye.
1: Yeah. It's very, very tough. So at the ASPCA, we are trying to I don't want to be too self-serving here, but the ASPCA, we're trying to be the premier, the number one destination for any veterinarian who wants to practice medicine in the animal welfare space, not only at the ASPCA. So we offer externships, internships, fellowships. I mentioned the shelter medicine residency. There are only, I think, four shelter medicine resident programs in the country. University of Wisconsin, San Diego Humane and SPCA, Oregon Humane Society, and the ASPCA. So there are six shelter medicine residents in the country, and we have three of them at the ASPCA. So what we're trying to do is establish ourselves as a place where veterinarians can come, get the training they need, the mentoring they need, have the flexibility that they need. We call it a family-friendly schedule to learn, acquire the skills, understand that they can have a robust career in animal welfare, whether that's at the ASPCA the Denver Dumb Friends League. And we are seeing, actually, since we implemented some of these, some of the changes, we are seeing an uptick in the number of applications for our veterinary positions. The number of open vet roles has reduced. The number of open tech roles has reduced. We're also trying to do the same thing on the tech side. We have a partnership with Platt University in Los Angeles. We are in discussions with LaGuardia Community College here in New York City to develop a partnership. LaGuardia has about 15 to 17 qualified tech applicants every year and no place to take them. So what we're trying to do is uh, you may know that we bought some property in Long Island City where we're building a community veterinary clinic to provide free and low cost services to the community. On the second floor, we're building a classroom where we'd have a partnership with LaGuardia where they can do their book learning on the second floor and their hands-on practical training on the first floor and we can be part of pumping out more techs
0: But until that happens, what do Joe and Betty do in their local neighborhood when they can't get a vet appointment? And if they do, they can't afford to pay the bill.
1: If they live in a community where we have services, they can come to us. The other thing the ASPCA is doing is all of our services are guided by the philosophy do, learn, share. So we want to do the work. We want to provide the medical care. We want to learn from that. And then we want to share. So let me give you an example. So we recently completed a study on pyometris, right? uh, Infected uterus that impacts intact animals.
0: I had a dog that had that, very frightening. They can die if you don't get the uterus out.
1: Right, so it's basically a space surgery, right? So it doesn't need to be this massive emergency procedure. Right. Except in those rare instances like you experienced. So we recently did a study on this and what we found is that this procedure can be done much, much more affordably, a few hundred bucks rather than a few thousand bucks. We write that up, we present on it, we disseminate that throughout the field trying to change, by doing that, we are trying, Jill, to change the way veterinary medicine is practiced, making it more accessible, making it more affordable. So if we can look at five, 10, 15 different procedures that animals commonly suffer from and develop as effective, but much more affordable techniques for addressing those things, we can make care more accessible. So we're doing that with pyometras. We're doing that with block cats. We're looking at an inadequate nutrition study, which is more focused on some of our victims of cruelty.
0: What about spay and neutering? I mean, spaying can be up to $1,300 now.
1: So actually, and I don't have the details on this, but I think in the next five to 10 years, there's going to be some exciting developments on non-surgical sterilization. ACC and D has been working on that. The Alliance for Contraception and Cats and Dogs has been working on this for a long time. I think it's going to be a while till it's readily available. Some of the procedures that we have now that are non-surgical sterilization require you have to keep doing it over and over again. This is one and done, but this is five, 10 years away.
0: Is it like the deer study when they inject the deer?
1: That's a gonicon, right? That's the gonacon study. Right. I, don't, you know, I don't have the details. I just got a quick headline from one of my team members last week about this but it's pretty exciting. But again, that's five, 10, maybe more years away. So you're right. Sterilizations are backed up. Our services are backed up. We're saying no to people all the time. We don't want to say no again, because of staffing. I would also add Jill that where we live, New York is the most difficult place for us to hire veterinarians. We're fully staffed in Los Angeles. We're fully staffed in North Carolina, Ohio, Illinois, Florida, New York is tough because the cost of living here is tough. you know. New York lost, what, 400,000 people during the pandemic. People left the city, didn't come back. So the vet shortage, I think, and the labor environment overall are the biggest threats to animal welfare achieving its goals. But I'll also say this, Jill, keep in mind what I said when I started. We're still below pre-pandemic intake, right? We have more animals in shelters. We have more animals with behavior issues and more severe behavior issues. We have more animals with medical issues and a combination of both. But we are able to address correct behaviors and medical conditions that 10, 15 years ago, we couldn't didn't have the time to do. We are still at a point in time in this movement's history. And I know this is hard for the shelters that are dealing with too many animals in the moment because we are. Some of these shelters are definitely overwhelmed right now. I do think this is a moment in time and that we will normalize. And we will get our staffing levels back to where they need to be. It's going to be a tough few years. And what is Goldman Sachs puts the likelihood of a recession at what, between 45 and 55%. So we really have to see how this year unfolds. And I empathize deeply with those shelters who who are overwhelmed.
0: And I know, Matt, the ASPCA, not too long ago, implemented what I think is the most important program where you take in only the underdogs. Now you don't go after the puppies and the purebreds and the perfect dogs. What is it like at the ASPCA now? Because if everybody's trying, you know, and giving up designer dogs, what's going on with the ones you have?
1: So, you know, actually we are doing quite well, but we were very, very intentional about how we market our dogs, who we market our dogs to, and how we make those matches right? Our return rates have stayed pretty level since we've gone to underdogs. Our euthanasia rate has gone up a little bit and that's tough for people, but it's tough for, for everyone actually. But at the same time, we know that these are dogs that 10, 15 years ago had no opportunity and our placement rate is still very, very high. And you know, Jill, you're right. We are focused. Let me back up a little bit. The ASPCA in New York City operates in part of a larger animal welfare ecosystem, right? And our job, in that ecosystem, as one of the most well-resourced, both financially and from a human capital perspective, our job is to take the most challenging cases and to leave the designer doodles, the small and fluffies, to the rescue community, right? Who don't have the resources, the capital resources, the infrastructure resources, the human resources that we have. So we're okay. We're, we're actually quite excited and committed to some of the more challenging animals. And the New York City live release rate actually ticked up From 92 to 93 percent from 21 to 22 the rescue community in this city is tremendous their enthusiasm their support the vigor with which they they do their work we wouldn't be here without them so we're okay we're okay you know we see jill we see the worst of humanity at the aspca we see animals who are victims of domestic violence we see animals who are victims of dog fighting we see animals who have suffered in hoarding environments Uh, We see animals that are so skinny, you can't believe they're alive. And the vast majority of them go on to be wonderful pets. Their resiliency, the enormous capacity that they have to heal and to forgive us is inspiring. And we learn from them. We learn forgiveness, we learn resiliency, we learn compassion and kindness. So we're excited to be engaged with this population of animals. And further, what we're doing here, again, do learn, share. We're learning how to shelter, how to recover, how to market these animals, and we're sharing that with the field. Because again, while right now, this moment in time, this post-pandemic challenge that we're in because of the labor shortage, because of more animals in the shelter, because of the vet shortage, it's a moment in time. And in the future, the only animals that should be in animal shelters, there's three populations, victims of cruelty, animals that need temporary housing, and we do some of that, animals that are victim, that are owned by people who are victims of domestic violence, animals whose owners are in transition, Right. and there'll always be a small population of animals that for legitimate reasons, their owners need to rehome them. And when we all get there as a country, and that's years away, but that's the vision, shelters will need help knowing how to house, recover, and place victims of cruelty. And animals that aren't perfect that are a bit more challenging so we're excited that we're diving into that population now learning from that population documenting our learnings and sharing our learnings
0: there is a light at the end of this tunnel and as long as we never lose sight of that that's the most important thing
1: i think the hardest part in animal welfare is for all of us right is stepping back and having some context and looking at things a little bit in a little bit of a bigger picture because we're so consumed by the animal that's in front of us that needs our help right now. But when you really step back, you understand the trajectory that this movement has been on for the last 20 years. We have marched forward at a pace that other issues I think are jealous of. We've watched our society entirely change its view towards homeless animals where, and you say this a lot, you know, it's a badge of honor. You know, you meet people on the street, oh, I rescued him, oh, I rescued her, oh, I got her here. People are proud to tell you. People want to participate in our movement, and we just have to give them the opportunity to do so.
0: Well, Matt Verschakar, as you said in the beginning of the show before we were actually rolling, you have the best job in the world. I do. <laughs> President and CEO of the ASPCA, truly making a difference. Thank you so much for your time, for your insight. It's great information for our listeners. And uh, thank you so much for tuning in today to report to the Rescue. Let's Talk Pets,
1: every week on demand.